Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill, and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. And today's guest is a woman, Carla Dembic, is the founder, owner of Phoenix Payment Processing, a family, woman, veteran-owned business. Carla spent 14 years in the military first as a U.S. Marine and later as an Army intelligence officer and a UH. 60 Black Hawk helicopter pilot. After a couple of tours overseas, she decided to take her leadership skills and move into the private sector. Successfully making the transition, Carla worked for Fortune 100 companies in the cybersecurity, financial technology, and banking industries. During this time, she learned and expanded upon her passion and knowledge of digital payments. Carla spent almost the last decade working with the banking industry working with industry leaders in digital payments to bring the most exclusive opportunities to business owners and franchises nationwide. Carla, thanks for being on the show today. Jonathan, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I don't don't know why I started my intro, but I didn't correct it with Carla is a woman. Like, (laughs) I guess it's because, you know, I'm sitting before someone who is, can I say, decorated in the military? You know, lots of experience. And I like there just aren't that many military women that I know. I mean, I don't I don't know a lot of military men, but I've had clients. But I mean, you have like an amazing history and a background. Um, Thank you. How it all got started. What's your fascination with like uh, with the, the military, with the I know you told me it started as a child. So let's let's go back to that. What What was it? Yeah, from, you know, from a very young age, I knew that the military was my initial purpose. You know, from 12 years old, I was just fascinated with aviation, with the military. My grandpa would tell me stories of when he was in World War II. And around 12, I got involved in Civil Air Patrol, which is an actual uh, official auxiliary of the Air Force. And it's kind of like a junior ROTC for kids. And I loved it. I mean, I was a a preteen and a teenager involved in this amazing organization that I got to go to 
Space camp. I'm going to geek out here for a second. I went mm-hmm. to space camp. I got to fly in F-16 simulators. We got to watch A-10s fly over. And we did so much cool stuff that it was at a very young age instilled in me to just serve and protect this country. And I had a blast doing it. <laughs> now, were there other women, girlfriends as you were growing up that shared that same passion or did you feel somewhat unique amongst your other girlfriends? I've always been a little different than, than my, than a normal girlfriend that I have. Right. Um, I was one of the very few, there was other girls that would join and then it just kind of didn't become their thing. And it was always mine, but finding other females who had the same drive and the same passion um, as me about the military was very far and few between. Mm. Interesting. And how, what was the experience like of being in the military as a woman? Did you feel that there was a discrimination that you were treated as uh, less than equal? What was that experience like? No, not at all. You know, I was really young. I was 17 when I left for the Marine Corps and because I was so young, my parents had to sign the papers. Wow. I spent, but being around surrounded by Um, my group of friends were always guys. So I kind of grew up in that environment as a teenager and I was treated the same for me personally. It was working almost twice as hard constantly to prove myself that I belong there and that I was a good leader. Mm. And I find that in, you know, almost every aspect of life or business that sometimes for me personally, maybe not for others, but just my personal journey is you got to work twice as hard to prove yourself and, you know, that you deserve a seat at the table and that you are, you know, doing things that are pretty incredible, but it's just second nature to me growing up in that environment. It's kind of like, all right, bring it on. What's next? (laughs) We got your family in the military is something that you saw from your grandparents, parents. I mean, my grandparents were in the military, just my grandpa. Uh, my grandma was a Red Cross nurse. Okay. And for immediate family, my mom and dad, they'd never served. Um, and it just kind of became my passion in just my whole world as a kid. And then later in life, when I finally joined and it was everything to me. Um, and then, you know, then life shifted and things changed and finding that purpose again was really important. So it's been how many years now that you've been out of the military? About six. Okay. So fair to say that most of your adult life has been in the military. It has. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I imagine the benefits of staying in the military when you've been there for 14 years is like, it's pretty compelling. I mean, the benefits, I imagine uh, the camaraderie, You've like you make a family there. You do. It's almost like an instant family. No matter where you go, it's everybody's there together and you become immediate friends. And like a family, you'll fight like dogs and cats sometimes. But at the end of the day, we are working for the same purpose and you become friends with everybody's other families and you're you rely on each other. And that was really significant, that camaraderie. And that was a huge piece that just 
I really missed making the transition into the um, the private sector, but it's an incredible experience that I did spend most of my adult life in. And I don't it, it was just amazing. And I had a great time. I mean, I was a 20 year old kid flying helicopters and having fun and going all over the world. I mean, it was pretty incredible. Uh, flying a helicopter, um, scary, fun or both? Amazing. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. If you like roller coasters, yeah. you can have a you can have a blast flying anything. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so what about leadership? How much did you learn about leadership while you're in the military? I learned quite a bit. And I think at every aspect, no matter what your rank is, whether you're enlisted, whether you're an officer, you're always going to learn something about leadership and you're always being led by an example. Mm -hmm. And just like the private sector, there's leaders that are good and there's leaders that are bad. And thankfully, I was mentored by some of the most incredible leaders that I have ever met in the military. And if you get a really good, strong NCO, because I want to, you know, shout out to the NCOs. They are the backbone of the military. They're non-commissioned officers. They're the enlisted. If you have an NCO that takes you under your wing as a young officer and shows you the ropes and teaches you how to do stuff, they will set you up for success. And it is all kind of, I like to say it's on the job training. You are learning as you're going. Mm. And sometimes you have to learn on the fly. <clears throat> and I think the military produces some of the most incredible leaders um, just because of what we have to deal with on a daily basis and especially the environment that we've been in for the past, what, 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a different kind of leadership than what um, usually the private, what I've seen in the private sector. So tell me a little bit about more about what NCOs are. I'm not familiar with the term. What does it really mean? How do you become one? So non-commissioned officers, when you start out in the military, let's say you enlist, you're at the bottom of the totem pole, you are a private, and then you kind of gain rank in each branch of the military is very different in their rank structure um, with what they call you, but it's all the same. So when you become an NCO, which is a really fantastic leadership position, you become a non-commissioned officer. You're not an officer, but you're in charge of everybody below you. So let's say you have a sergeant. Well, now he's in charge of all the privates and the lance corporals and the corporals. And you have a bunch of people below you and you have to lead them. So you can become a squad leader or a team leader. And it's broken down. Think of it as 30 people are in one group and you have sections. You have four different sections and there's a leader for each of those little sections. And then within that, you're leading all these people. Let's say you have to go do run 10 miles. You got to get everybody organized. You got to get them in, you know, what time we're leaving. What are we wearing? How far are we going? You got to think of, is there water along the way? It's logistical. So you become mm. an instant leader mm. with all of this. And you're just kind of thrown into it. And like, did you do this, 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 and this? It's everything good to go. And it's just... It's either sometimes it's like sink or swim. <laughs> you got to figure it out. But if you have a good mentor, they help you and you just build on that leadership. So you got these young 20 year old kids, nine, some are 19 that are taking on these responsibilities and this leadership role in doing 
incredible in phenomenal things, especially when it goes to when we talk about deployment, you know, in over overseas, you, these young kids are stepping up and they are just absolutely amazing. Hmm. Okay. All right. So you're in there for 14 years. Was there an event that happened that made you decide to leave? There was. Yep. I became a mom Mm -hmm. and it's the best thing that I have ever done. (laughs) And I would have liked to stay into them in the military and do 20 plus years, but you know, life changes. And when it does there, your priorities shift. And I think this can go for anything as you get older as seasons of your life and different chapters change, you have to reprioritize everything. And for me, I didn't want to be away from my son. I don't want to, I didn't want to be deployed. I didn't want to be overseas. I just did not want to be away from him at all. So it was almost this, it was very sad to leave, but it was also very exciting because I was on to the next thing. And, you know, in, in that, it was finding and redefining, okay, who am I outside of the military now? I've led for all these years. I'm now a mom. Now what? You know, and it's redefining that purpose and finding that purpose again that, okay, I've had a purpose for all this time. What's that going to look like now? And it was a very interesting dynamic transition going on. (laughs) I bet, you know, I'm reflecting on what's probably obvious and unspoken, which is that in the private sector, if you become a mom, you take, you know, three months or six weeks, whatever the number is, leave, and then you come back. um, And then you build some kind of a network uh, of either, you know, daycare or nannies or mother, you know, parents, grandparents, but the military, it's there's no option there, is there, for having a child and raising a child within the confines of the military environment? Or it's it's doable, but it's extremely difficult. And if you're a single parent, it is super difficult mm-hmm. to have that because your hours aren't nine to five, right? It's whenever you're needed, your training missions in the field might last a month. So where's the coverage? And there is a lot of just crazy logistical stuff. If you don't have, you know, a spouse that you can rely on Mm -hmm. to help care or take care of this stuff at home. And that's why some people are very successful in doing it. For me, my personal choice was to get out and reinvent myself again. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's there's not that huge support system sometimes of being a single parent just because you're all over with hours. It's, you know, 3:30 in the morning, go to the flight line, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or 10 yeah. o'clock in the evening, let's do inventory. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just there's no steady 9 to 5. <laughs> So you made the transition first. It sounds like you went into corporate working for some fortune 100 companies. Correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then at what point did you decide to make the shift to becoming an entrepreneur? About two years ago, I actually made the shift. Mm-hmm. Um, previous to that, while I was in the private sector in corporate America, 
I knew within, you know, a first probably two years that, you know, I kind of want to start my own thing. I just, what, what could I do? And I started kind of brainstorming, you know, what am I good at? What could I do? What could I start? And I had a previous business to this and then COVID with COVID, it, um, it kind of closed down because it was a travel agency. And, and then I found myself going into this about two years ago, just to have um, personal goals for myself, um, that freedom, um, that I found my purpose again. But the private sector taught me so much. I learned so much that I would have never learned if I wasn't there. And then I just kind of redefined that for me and what it meant for me and where I want to take it. All right. So you chose to go into the payment processing business. Um, was there some gap in the market that you saw that needed to be filled? Was there some common frustration or pain that people you were either interacting with or meeting just thought, wow, this is an industry that is is needed or, you know, what, or what made you choose to go into that business? You know, I think there was, there's an education gap. So I love payments and I worked for one of the top digital payments companies and I learned quite a bit there. And I was fortunate enough to meet my mentors who are the leading experts in this field in just getting to know them and talk with them about this. It, I saw a need and I saw an opportunity that there's when we start a business, we just know that we need to take payments. And so most of the time we just set it and forget it because we don't know any better or we go to the top three. And as I dug deeper and did a lot more research and learned and gained the knowledge, I found out that most of the time that's what it is. But I'm hearing all these things from my friends who have businesses, very successful businesses that, you know, they can't get the support they need. They were on hold for three hours or they're paying astronomical fees when there shouldn't be. And I was like, you know, there's a better way, right? And they're like, what do you mean? Isn't it all the same? And I was like, no. And so I started educating my friends who have businesses. Like you have options, you have choices. And it's one of those things that really isn't talked about. And so I saw an opportunity to help people to find a purpose again in helping business owners be successful in their business in a very different way. And it has become just a very, it's become my passion now because there is a better way to do things. There's a better way to treat business owners. And my family is a bunch of business owners and I saw the struggles that they had. So it just kind of developed from there. And it's just been uh, an incredible ride so far. Great. So let's talk about the fact that your parents are both working for you, correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, in a small company um, and they're in a sales role. Um, what's it like to have your parents work for you versus you working for your parents? Have you had prior experience growing up where you worked for your mom or dad, first of all? And um, do you have some contrast here? Or? Yeah, I haven't worked for them directly in their business. We helped out. 
And so I got to learn the ropes at a very young age. And they had us as little salespeople for them. And I say us, me and my sister. Mm-hmm. And we would go and sell and talk to other people and not really sell, but just have a conversation with people and, you know, just bring up, oh, hey, my dad does this. You know, he has a construction company and I heard you guys were looking for this. And it just is an organic conversation that we would do that. But have you ever tried to parent your own parent? <laughs> it's a it's, very it's, different dynamic. <laughs> it's a very different dynamic and not not always that easy, right? There's- no, it's not. It's the, and it, I don't hold my parents to, to quotas or harp on them like, hey, you're not meeting what you need to. It's not like that at all. Right. They have a very um, more of a passive role, but they're they've become my mentors. They've been through it all. They've had so many different businesses throughout their life. And you gain your experience from that. You surround yourself with people who have been there, who have done it, who have seen it all. And you take the lessons that they teach you and the advice that they give you. And then you innovate that for today's day and age saying, you know, that's a really good point. And, and they always have a different perspective than I do, because when you're in it, you're so tunnel visioned and you're like, okay, I'm in it. But from them being kind of on the outside They're like, did you look at it this way? And I was like, no, I didn't. That's actually a great idea. Mm. And they're like, you're welcome. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I learn a lot from them and they also help me out, but I'm not going to try to parent them. (laughs) I tried that once and my my mom was like, excuse me, (laughs) who do you think you're talking to? I'm like, okay. Okay. (laughs) What about equity? Is that, are you a hundred percent equity holder? of the company? I am. Have you, is there any consideration to sharing some of that equity with other family members? Absolutely. And I have tried, Mm -hmm. I have tried with my mom and dad and they say, no, 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 we're just happy to help. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, but seriously, like you, you need to think about this and they just won't have anything to do with it. My sister, on the other hand, she's all about it. So me and my sister are in the works of um, this really uh, incredible deal together that I'm pretty excited about. I can't go public with it yet, but I'm very excited about it. And my sister, I'm going to give her uh, 50% of it. So yeah, I wouldn't have it if it wasn't for her. So um, that's very interesting. So you're going to go 50-50 and stop me if you can't talk about it. what is the, when you come to making a decision that's strategic, let's say entering a new market or adding a new product, pretty simply put, um, if you two don't agree, what's the, do you have a third, do you have an odd number, odd person on the board who votes? Is one of your parents voting? Or, nope. Um, my sister defaults to my decisions. Okay. Which is kind of nice because she's the older sister. So you wouldn't really expect that. <laughs> okay. So she's giving you 100% voting control, yep. even though you'd have 50 50 equity. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Just for this one specific account, she, okay. she gets the 50 50 on this one specific account. Oh, so it's not equity in the company then, per se. No, just okay. equity within the 
accounts that she brings to me, okay. then I give her 50% of that. But the company, they, my family wants me to have it, to run it, to do what I want with it. And they're just happy to help. It's okay. Maybe it's not like the best dynamic, but it works for me and I'm happy well, with it. <laughs> well, it's simple and your company is small yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, do you have a vision for growing much larger? In terms Absolutely. Of, in terms of headcount? Um, in terms of headcount, yes. Not yet. Um, I, I just not there yet, but I would like to grow it into an agency and teach people how to do this um, and and grow it from there and really start scaling it. That's mm-hmm. future. That's like my five-year plan that's mm-hmm. out right now. Mm-hmm. It's in immediate future. I'm focused on more of all the partnerships that we are creating to, because we're not just payments. We've added payroll. We now, it hasn't, I haven't released it public yet, but we just added a new partnership to provide capital to businesses up to 500,000. And I'm really excited about that partnership. That's great. Yeah. So we're always, I'm always looking for new partnerships, innovation, um, technology, because I hear things from my clients and from the business owners of what they want, what they need. And I always go and look for what, what can I, who can I partner with that has this? And it's not just anybody. I mean, it has to be completely vetted, but I'm always looking to innovate because I see it growing into more of this one-stop shop for businesses and all of the businesses needs the payments, the payroll, right. um, the capital, everything that you need. And I see a lot of opportunity there where businesses just want to deal. They don't want to deal with five different companies, people or sure. anything. They want to deal with one person and have it streamlined. And that's okay. my goal for, for my clients and the businesses that come to me. And let's talk again, a little dig a little deeper on the family dynamic. So your sister is involved in the business. Is she full-time in the business or part-time? No, she's, she's, I wouldn't even consider her part-time. Okay. She's kind of like, um, hey, I have this really amazing opportunity. I see. Okay. Yeah. Almost like a referral partner. Mm-hmm. And she's like, listen, and she tells people in, in about it, in what that I'm doing. And it's a, it, if this goes through, it's a, will be my biggest client to date. That, yeah, it's fantastic. So I'm excited about that. And she laid the groundwork for the past year on it. So I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah, Super. she's she's not active. Okay. <laughs> she's more passive, so, like, oh, hey. <laughs> so, Carla, recruiting in today's day and age is one of the most difficult uh, topics for companies, finding the right people, finding people who are who want to the right people, meaning they share the the same values uh, that the company and that you as an entrepreneur have um, and that they're highly productive and they're motivated do you, as you think about bringing new people into your company, do you look to the military and your connections there as a recruiting vehicle, or is it, is that just too too small, too limited uh, of a place to draw from? Oh, not at all. I would, I would absolutely recruit my military friends in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. only because I know their work ethic. Yep. 
I know them. I know how they're going to produce. We do live by a set of core values. Mm -hmm. And I know the integrity of the people that they're honest, that they will lead first and that they'll get stuff done. I mean, that's the one thing that about the military and especially working with other veterans who have businesses. I know if I say, hey, I need this by a certain date that I'm going to get it by a certain date because that's just how we are. And we're driven. And it's a different type of, I want to say, breed um, when you work with other veteran companies as opposed to outside of that. I just haven't found the same outside of the military. So I'm a little... I would say uh, I, I would choose working with my military veteran friends any day. I understand that. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about another hot topic for um, anyone these days, consumers in particular, um, but also business owners. And that's the threat of rising inflation. Yeah. Um, what are some of your thoughts about inflation and and how that affects uh companies in terms of pricing, in terms of profitability, um, in terms of being proactive? What what advice or thoughts do you have about the, these topics? Yeah. So inflation, if, man, what's it at 8.6 today or something? It's constantly going up. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I've noticed a lot with clients and just business owners is that they feel they need to raise prices to increase revenue. Right. But what's going to happen is consumers aren't going to keep spending money that they don't have with the way that everything is going just to afford the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so what if I told you that there is a way that I can increase a business owner's revenue without them having to raise prices? And I'll give you an example. Like I would ask, pay- how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. The payments piece literally of a business is the bloodline. Mm -hmm. It is the bloodline of the business. If you don't get payments, your business is going to go under. So what we do and what I do is take a look at your financial statement, like your merchant account statement. Most of the time, and I'll give you an example, um, a business bringing in, let's say 1 million a month and they're close to 3% on credit card. Let's say it's an e-commerce business and they're paying 3% 3% for credit card fees. They're spending $30,000 a month just to take credit cards. Now let's not forget that little transaction number two. Usually it's like 30 cents, 20 cents, something like that. We'll go with 30 for this example. 30 cents. And let's say you have a uh, hundred thousand transactions a month. That's another $30,000. So you're paying $60,000 a month for credit cards. And that equates to over 720,000 a year annually. What could a business do with that money? What Mm. if I said I could cut that in half or we can eliminate it altogether? Now you just put $720,000 annually back into your business, or now you don't have to do those layoffs. Now you don't have to raise prices and you just literally restructured your payments piece and you increased your revenue. I think that's great. I think I might tell them to raise their prices and do that. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be greedy, but to know that if your costs have gone up, then, you know, 
the only way to keep your gross margin going up is to raise prices in line with that. Now, your net margin will also increase because stuff that's below, I mean, I think that's below the cost of goods sold for most companies. Um, they'd cut out a lot of merchant fees, which, you know, are unnecessary, which is exactly. kind of an interesting story here. Um, let's talk about just cryptocurrency, crypto technology, fintech, um, which will try to eliminate some of these merchant fees by offering direct transactions. You know, now I know uh, this has got to be something that you're paying attention to because Absolutely. otherwise, uh, I mean, it might just come along faster than we think. What, what are your thoughts on FinTech or maybe it's really crypto technology to use yeah. for transactions? So when, when a company says, Hey, you're not going to pay anything to, to, process this or like, Hey, we will do this transaction 0% to you. They're making it up somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So we'll just be cognizant of that. But as far as crypto, we're already working on a solution mm. um, to mm. offer that it's still in the works. Um, it's not public yet. It's being beta tested and going back to those innovative partnerships that we're always looking at, having the tech team look at these to think ahead in the future. If you don't pay attention to fintech, you're going to be lost. You're going to be left behind. We have a payment system that is built on legacy banking industry from what the fifties, you know, and with the innovation that is coming out, we're seeing a lot more um, really dynamic stuff coming out in the payments industry, especially digital payments, yeah. where biometrics is coming into play, crypto is coming into play. And I know there's a, a, a really cool, no one has done it yet that I've found. I mean, everybody's working on this. If, if you're a big tech startup, you're already working on this. You're just not public with it to find a solution for um, what I keep hearing it from a lot of business owners, they want to take crypto, but they want it deposited into their bank account as USD. Mm. And there's no one solution yet, but whoever comes to the market with that first is going to be pretty amazing. And um, being able to offer that to business owners and stay up with the tech industry and especially fintech industry is something that I'm extremely passionate about and something that you know, other people in this digital payment space that if you're not innovating or getting what is coming, the technology that's coming in, biometrics is coming soon, you know, being able to pay with that. We saw digital wallets increase during yeah. the pandemic. I mean, it's just the push for a cashless society is coming. I don't know how well receptive that it's going to be. I you know, the innovation is there. We have the technology. It's just putting it together and figuring out, you know, all of this tech for the, the payments piece of it. But the, the rest of the world has to be able and ready to accept that as well. But we saw a huge increase during the pandemic. Sure. I mean, everything went digital. Nothing was cash. And it was a, a big eye opener, I think. 
I forget to carry my wallet a lot because there's nothing in it really that I need except maybe my credit card and a driver's license. Right. Yeah. I have one of those um, uh, cell phone covers yeah. that has the little credit that's, card slot. That's all I take. I don't even need a purse. I just yeah. take that. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Um, as we wrap up here, Phoenix Payment Processing is your company. Um, any special offers that you have for our listeners? So we do a no cost analysis for businesses. If you want to see how much that I could save you um, in it with numbers, because numbers don't lie, mm-hmm. we will do the financial analysis for businesses and no cost to them. It just includes a merchant statement. And the best way is to really just call me and let's have a conversation about where you're at, where you want to take it. And that's the easiest way for me to say, to show you how much I can save you. Okay, great. And give us your phone number, please. So um, you can reach me at 480-269-1607. Great. Carla, thanks so much for being on the show and for sharing your transition from the military to entrepreneurship. Um, I I wish I was in your hometown and could say, can we go for a a Black Hawk pilot ride? (laughs) Sounds like a roller coaster ride of fun. And I hope you can take your company on the same journey that you took your military career, uh, which is, uh, you know, like a force. So (laughs) thank you, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. And hey, when we get the helicopter, you're more than welcome to come out for a ride. I will invite you and we'll go flying. (laughs) There you go. And one would assume you're in Phoenix by your name, Phoenix Payment Processing. Yep. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) fair enough. All right, Carla Dembic, thanks so much for being on the show. Folks, you know the drill. If you got some value from this, um, please like us and share it with others. Um, Subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes of the Disruptive Successor Show. Thanks. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.